Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview the most thought-provoking, smartest people on the planet. Uh, today, uh, we have uh, Stephanie, Dr. Stephanie Warner, who has written a very, very fascinating uh, book uh, that we're talking about today, which is The Future of Ready. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Mark. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, Stephanie, give us a little bit about your personal background. Sure. Uh, I um, uh, went to Rice University undergraduate in Houston, Texas, and majored in biology, worked as uh, in a startup company. And uh, one of my goals after that was to never do inventory again, uh, which I've actually managed to accomplish. Got an MBA at University of Texas at Austin and then went to Stanford and uh, did a PhD in organizational behavior. And then after that, I worked uh, for a couple of years at Harvard Business School writing uh, cases and teaching notes and then came to MIT in 2000. And in 2000, I started doing the research that I do on uh, technology. And I joined MIT Center for Information Systems Research in 2007. Um, and now I am the director of the research center and a principal research scientist. So why did you write this book? We wrote this book. Well, first, I think we should go back to why did we do this research? Uh, we did, we started, my colleague Peter Weil and I started some research in 2012 on what was the effect of digital disruption on large companies? And um, what came out of that was a book called What's Your Digital Business Model? And as we started talking to sponsors and other large companies about the digital business model research, we started getting questions about, okay, this is really interesting. How do we get there? What do we have to do to transform ourselves and achieve that business model? And so we started doing the research on um, digital transformation. And it was uh, it was just fascinating to hear how companies were really, you know, how they were working to transform themselves, what they were trying to accomplish. And uh, we eventually wrote the book because it was a chance to really consolidate, integrate, and create, you know, a one-stop shop for all of the research that we have done on digital transformation. Um, what was the, what is your definition of digitalization? So when we talk about digital transformation, I want to, um, uh, argue that a digital business transformation is not one thing. I think it's two things. One is it is digitalization, it, it, digitization. And digitization is the uh, instilling a discipline around your back office processes. Uh, 
But to do a digital business transformation, you can't just digitize, but you also have to use digital or digitalize also where you are using digital technologies to create um, new solutions for your customers, new ways to engage with your customers, and you're empowering your people to experiment. So this idea of digitization, digitalization, and digital business transformation is really two separate things that are kind of under the umbrella of digital transformation, innovating on one hand and taking out costs on the other. And that's why it's so hard for large, for almost any company to do, because you're being asked to be ambidextrous. And so that's how I think about digitalization is you digitize your back office, you use digital technologies um, to engage customers. Now, what does a successful digital transformation even look like? Well, there's actually, we've come up with um, four pathways to transform yourself. And so a successful transformation is one where a company gets to a, a state that we call future ready. And a future ready company is one that is, uh, they're ambidextrous. They're doing these two things at the same time. They're, they're both innovating and taking out costs. They have a great customer experience. And then, um, and this is some research that we're doing now. They're both, they're modular and agile. So they're, these companies are thinking about uh, their processes and, and how do they make components that can plug and play either internally or externally. Uh, these companies are also partnering a lot because it's rare for a company to actually have everything that they meet, need to succeed. And then finally, data is a strategic asset. So a, a data, a successful transformation is that kind of company, one that is, you know, a profitable growth is one way to look at it. Great customer experience, uh, really relying on data and using evidence. You know, uh, we talked um, before the show started, did you ever envision uh, the world would look like this? Um, let's say using the benchmark of like the mid nineties to where we are now, 30 years later, hard to believe it's even been 30 years. It is. I knew when I saw Netscape mosaic, that that was going to change things. And then, but I didn't know to what extent. And then when Google came about with its search and all of a sudden I did not have to remember my Boolean, um, you know, all of my Boolean operators. Um, that was exciting. But so I knew it was going to be big. I did not realize that every company would be a digital company, that you can't run a business without digital. I did not know to the, what extent that that would be the case. I mean, one way to think about it, about how much we've changed is when I came to MIT in 2000, um, I was a, a project manager and a researcher on a National Science Foundation project. And the, the grant was for five years, and we were to study uh, how will the internet affect large companies? I mean, think how far we've come in 20 years, 23 years from when we started doing that study, that that was, um, that 
companies were going to change the way that they operated internally, that the change the way that they thought about their customers. It was going to change how the kinds of solutions that they were offering their customers. Companies were going to be able to focus more on outputs rather than products. It's fascinating how this has all changed. And while I knew it would be big, did I know how big? No, I did not. I I just, you know, had an idea, but I I if I had known, I would have made a lot of money probably. Yeah, we all would have made a lot of money. You and I were talking <laughs> before that, and I was saying back in 1999 when the market crashed, and you could buy Amazon for six bucks a share, and and you could have bought Apple for next to nothing, you know, a bunch of companies. If you just put a thousand dollars on each of them. Uh, you wouldn't have to work. Just a thousand, a few thousand I bucks. I, I, yeah, clearly not smart enough at that time. Uh, it seems to me there isn't much more that can be offered digitally that hasn't been explored except for faster speeds. But few uh, new revolutionary, uh, but few new revolutionary ideas. Have we maxed out on what we can do digitally, or is are we like in the first inning of a, a nine inning game or? The fifth inning, how how big do you think this is? How much change are we going to see in the next 10 years? So Peter and I are doing some research now on this idea that we that that companies are going to have to really identify not just some of these small internal customer journeys, but that companies are going to have to operate in domains rather than industries. And when I talk about domains, I'm talking about fulfilling an end-to-end need and assembling from many different companies in many different industries all the pieces needed to fulfill that need. And I think that we see a couple of companies, we see some companies that are doing that now but I think there's going to be pressure on a lot of more companies to start thinking about what is a great customer experience and think way more broadly. And I think that digital enables that in part because of APIs and other ways of uh, connecting and partnering that we did not have before. So I think there's more to be done. Are we in the first inning? Uh, we're probably more than the first inning, but I think we're not in the ninth inning. I think there's a lot more to be done. I think that it's going to be this re-envisioning of how you serve the customer uh, and this need to really um, uh, assemble a, a list of partners to create a solution. The other thing is, I think that we could start to see some really different kinds of organizational structures. Now, are they, I I don't think that the standard, you know, hierarchical company is going to go away anytime soon. I mean, inertia just keeps a lot of things around. I mean, you could still go to Yahoo and AOL. So, you know, companies don't just disappear um, typically. But so I would say somewhere in the middle, and then we haven't even talked about what are technologies like, um, especially generative artificial intelligence, going to do? Uh, that's one where, again, I think it's going to be big. Do I know where it's going? 
I have some inklings, but could I even predict how big it's going to be? Um, I'm probably, I would probably make an error if I did. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, can can any business benefit by uh, improved use of digital technology, or is there a slight improvements in some industries and incredible opportunities in others? And and what does it when does it make sense to make that kind of investment, and what kind of return should a company be looking for? So I felt those three questions all kind of fit together. So. I think that any company is that is of any size, and you have to know I'm I'm at the Center for Information Systems Research at in the MIT Sloan School of Management, and we focus on very large companies. So I don't have as much research and knowledge about say very small companies, but for any company of any size, you are going to have to become. Um, you're going to have to use digital technologies. I think your customers are going to demand it. Customer expectations are rising in terms of how easy it is to do business with your company. And those are going to demand those digital technologies. Um, I think you're going to see in different industries, different focuses. So for instance, large companies like oil and gas and big chemical production um, they're probably going to focus much more on digitizing their um, back end and really looking for efficiencies and then trying to figure out how they're going to um, create a better customer experience. But how important it will be will be uh, that I think remains to be seen. However, uh, even in industries like construction, uh, digital has made a huge difference um, in the customer experience and in what you could do. I mean, if you look at a company like Semex, uh, when Semex's CEO, current CEO, Fernando Gonzalez came in, he looked at his at the opportunity for creating a great customer experience, and then he had to identify who you know who was the customer. And, and think about this. This is a cement company. They're sending cement trucks out. Who would think that there's an opportunity for a great customer experience there? And so they did a lot of work and finally identified the job site manager as the customer. And they built a digital platform so that the job site manager never had to leave the job site. They could order online. They could see when, when deliveries were going to come. And then... Semex went and integrated that into their back end. And when you do that, now you start to have data, you have end-to-end -end data, you can start to use artificial intelligence, you can start to do predictive um, scheduling, and you start to think about what are the different ways of using digital. So I think for companies that we would not think of normally as being, you know, where is digital going to work? I think... It's short-sighted to think that you shouldn't be thinking about a digital transformation. And so in terms of investment, uh, you know, one of the questions that we ask in the book and we ask in workshops that we do is, what percentage of your revenues are under threat in the next five years? And so companies that have a high level of threat, say 70% of their revenues are under threat in the next five years, 
they really have to be you know, charging forward and moving forward. I would say that companies that say that they have 20% of their revenues are under threat, they have much more time. They can they can put steps into place. And so I think that every company is going to be a digital company. It's going to be the speed at what you're going to uh, come up with. And then it's going to be um, the amount that you invest at any one time. Return, uh, returns take a while. Uh, right now, Companies that are future ready are seeing returns of about seven percentage points above industry average in revenue growth and in net margin. That is our 2022 data that we just collected in October. Um, So uh, I think as more companies are becoming more future ready, those returns will shrink. But I think that there will always be returns above industry average for companies that are doing investments and investing in a um, careful, uh, coordinated kind of fashion. Um, 7% is huge when you're talking to yeah. the, uh, about you know multi-billion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, it's almost an instant payback just for that from that increase. Right. Now, it does take a little bit of time. I think we would say um, I have seen, I think the quickest I've seen is about three years in terms of a transformation. I think um, KPN in the Netherlands did a pretty quick one. I think the longer ones, DBS Bank and Schneider Electric were about 10 years for the bulk of their transformations. Um, Both of so, so I think that when you're talking about transformations, you are looking at a return over, say, three to five years, typically. So I'm wondering this, what's the process any company should go through to plan their digital strategy and elevate these ideas? I'm going to argue the most important thing to start with is to develop a common language. And I think that this is going to have to be a language that is throughout the entire company, um, top to bottom. And so some of the more successful transformations that we've seen have really started by getting um, the transformation leader, top management team together to, you know, hammer out what is it that the company is trying to do? What is their definition of becoming future ready? And then how what's the what's the pathway that they think they want to be on? And to make sure that you have got everybody using the same kind of language. And so, I mean, one of the jokes that we'll make is, you know, what is a platform? Uh, uh, you could have, a two-sided, you know, a multi-sided platform with external network externalities that you could put into place. You could have an internal platform that is going to be, you know, a, where you put uh, like processes together and then you reuse that platform over and over again. There are many different definitions. You want to make sure that you're operating with the same kind of common language, the same kind of definition. And so I think it starts there. I think picking a pathway is really important because 
you want to be able to tell your people and coach them along and let them know what to expect. Where is it going to be difficult? Uh, when are we going to have some of the big challenges? Uh, what are some of the big challenges? And then from there, I think the next thing is to deal with one of the big explosions that we talk about, which is, have you allocated decision rights correctly? Do you have the right people leading the transformation? Who's going to be in charge of leading what the transformation is about? And then who's going to be in charge of how it's done? And then also, what is going to be global and what is going to be local? So I think that that's how I would start. Common language, pick a pathway or pathways, and then make sure you allocate those decision rights correctly. Sears had a hundred year head start on Walmart and Amazon, plus one of the most revered brands on the planet. Why do you think they and others like them botched their digital transformation? I think they didn't cannibalize themselves. Um, I think that they, uh, now I haven't studied Sears in any great detail, but you know, they were used to sending out catalogs. I mean, I remember giant catalogs coming to the house and, you know, looking through it and thinking about what they had. Um, and I think they poo-pooed um, that companies were, that consumers were going to find uh, dealing online with less friction, I think they completely underestimated the desire for customers to go and uh, uh, interact that way. Uh, and I don't think that they took a good look at what it was like to shop in their stores or what it was like to have to place an order. And so, uh, I mean, they had I mean, they could have had distribution centers. I mean, think about what Amazon did. They built out the network and then, they didn't build the distribution centers until way later. So um, I think Sears had an opportunity and I don't think that they, um, I don't think that I, it's a crisis of imagination, I think. And there were no experiments that they did. Um, I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, first of, first of all, I think that people who rise up in organizations like Sears are risk adverse and, uh, the boards are made up of finance people who, with the idea of spending it, and they're not technology savvy to begin with. You know, they're asking their kids, how do you work this thing again? And, still see that. Uh, and they're not intellectually interested in new ideas. Uh, they typically are putting these kinds of people in place back then. I think they're smarter now, these companies, and uh, um, maybe not that much smarter, but a little bit more savvy. But yeah. if you look at all these tech companies that had enormous leads, like Smith Corona, you you couldn't have had a bigger lead than in in the office space than Smith Corona, and for them to miss the computer revolution is still astounding, right? And Sears had the entire lead; it was like almost impossible to lose, but they still managed to do it. Yeah, uh, and who was it? Was it? Was it Phil Kotler who said, you know, the railroads lost because they uh, thought of themselves as railroads and not moving goods from transportation, transportation companies? Yeah. yeah. And 
And and I think that your digital savvy issue is is important. We did some research on the digital savviness of boards um, in 2019. This was where we used machine learning to um, we coded all the bios of all 40,000 directors in the United States of publicly traded companies. And what we found, uh, and it was a pretty, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't an overly strict definition of digital savviness. I mean, you had to have certain kinds of experience, but only, uh, and then we said that you had to have three people on a board who were digitally savvy to have a digitally savvy board. And the, and the digital savvy boards completely, their companies completely outperformed um uh the non-digitally savvy boards but only about 24% of boards were digitally savvy and we're getting ready we're replicating that work now but what we found is the digital savviness has gone up of the boards using the same criteria to 67% but we think that that's not enough we think that it's really got to be a very technically digital technology savvy and when we do that, only about 16% of boards are digitally savvy. So stay tuned. That research will come out soon. Yeah. I, you know, I remember uh, sitting with the uh, CEO of the Philadelphia Inquirer, the people who own the Inquirer and the Daily News in Philadelphia, and telling them that they should give, get uh, do a partnership with Amazon and give Kindles to all their subscribers get rid of their printing press and tell people you don't have to worry about the paper getting wet. In fact, you don't even have to leave your bed. It will be zapped right to you first in the morning. And his response after he had bought the company for 560 million was people still like holding the paper. I think that's way long way off. I said, I'm telling you, it's a, a very short distance. And what ended up happening, the, uh, they ended up, almost zeroing out the entire investment and almost every major paper in the country, except for the Times and the Post, because they were the only ones that really embraced the digital world. But all the others weren't embracing it and their advertising, everything just uh, went down when they had enormous leads with great brand uh, brand names. You write five words when getting ready for taking advantage of digital transformation. Accumulate, build, anticipate, commit, and motivate. Why did you pick these five? What we were trying to do was to, and I'm going to flip them and start. We picked these because we were looking at all of the case studies that we did. And uh, we found that every company that had made a real progress had a really crisp, clear motivation about what they wanted to be. So Schneider Electric wanted to be a, they wanted to provide um, energy efficiency. And DBS Bank wanted to uh, live more bank less. And it seemed to us that you had to come up with a purpose that was motivating not just to your own people, but to your um, customers as well, that made them willing to go along the journey with you. And then in part of motivating, you then turned that into the common language. And then you had to commit to a pathway. 
what are you, you know, or pathways if you have multiple business units. Um, and then you had to anticipate these four major organizational changes that we had saw happening in every um in every uh company uh around you know allocating decision rights um uh, creating new ways of working uh creating developing a platform mindset and then doing organizational surgery and then you start to build your capabilities along the way and finally if you don't get to accumulate which is accumulating value are you creating and accumulating value then your transformation has been for naught. So we sort of saw this as a um, synthesis of kind of the steps that you needed to do to get to have a, a successful transformation. In the book, you mentioned that using digital for operational efficiency and customer experience uh, is probably the best starting point. Is that because it's easier to sell boards and finance departments, or is it because that's where the greatest bang for the buck initially is? So we started with those two because in the discussions with the companies that we were doing case studies on, when we would ask them, what are you trying to accomplish? They they would talk about both operational efficiency and customer experience. And I would say that I think one of the big things at Scissor was actually seeing that you had to do both of those at the same time. And so um, I would say you would do operational efficiency if you were starting to look at um, productivity, if you were looking at efficiency, customer experience, I would expect that to be reflected in some um, uh, in more revenue growth and a, a increase in net promoter score. And so I think what you're going to sell to your board and your finance is what's the biggest issue that you have that you must address. So in certain instances, their companies have like big competitors coming in and they have to deal with their customer experience, or you have some time and you can really start to build out that, um, that efficiency because those, that's a very profitable way of going um, toward you know, going toward efficiency. But if you've got if you've got competitive threats, you have to address your customer experience. So it it all depends on what is your um, current uh, problem and opportunity that you have. I think. So I wouldn't say that there it's it's going to be one or the other. you you have to look and see where you stand and, you know, what your competitive landscape is. Are older companies at a disadvantage because they might require a bigger, uh, greater investment to tie all the old systems together to leverage all the information stored in those systems and getting them to function with the rest of the organization? Oh, yeah. Well, they have legacy. They have legacy. They're dealing with legacy. Uh you know the the joke is that uh, you can do industrial, you can do organizational archaeology just by looking at the systems, and you can see what was important 
at a specific time by seeing what kind of system was put into place. And so, yes, bigger, older organizations are at a disadvantage. However, things have come along that have made life easier for some of these bigger companies. Um, so they, you know, there are platform as a service, there are uh, microservices, there are API layers, things like that, that large companies can do. And think about what large companies have as assets also. They have typically good brand. They often have money in the bank. They have a base of customers that knows what they can do. So while they have legacy, they also have some of these other assets that I think that they can rely on as they look at the new technologies that help them integrate the um, integrate and uh, get rid of the legacy systems. You write that the goal of Future Ready is to meet customer needs rather than push products. Wouldn't that be driving? Wouldn't be driving new revenue be the major reason for making a significant uh, digital investment? It's one, and it's as good a reason as any. If you think that new revenue, um, if that you have that opportunity, um, I also think that you should not underestimate the um, operational efficiencies and the uh, uh, integration and consolidation of your data. Uh, so if you're meeting your customer needs rather than pushing the products, there's opportunity there for, uh, driving new revenue. And that is absolutely one, um, motivation for a digital transformation, but the operational efficiencies and how you can see that in profitability and the opportunities for reuse are really significant. And what you can do when you consolidate your data is something that just driving new revenue isn't going to get you. So some of the operational efficiency issues, the reuse, finding the one best way of doing something, consolidating data, actually set the stage for um, new and different kinds of uh, customer experiences that you wouldn't be able to do. Um, we talk about operational value and customer value and ecosystem value and operate customer values where you get the biggest bang for your buck and then ecosystem value is that and then you have operational value but you actually can't build customer value and ecosystem value without having a good operational backbone so there are reasons to spend money on your operational backbone how can digitalization improve new product innovation this is, I think, where things get really interesting in that, um, so there's product innovation where you have physical products, and there are ways that you can um, start to change your products. My colleague, Barb Wixom, um, does research on data monetization. So you can think about physical products that throw off data that you can then um that you can then create a service for so for instance iot when you have sensors you're collecting that data and then you start to think well we could do a predictive maintenance service that you wouldn't be able to do if you didn't have digital so that's some physical combined with the digital the other area where i see a lot of opportunity for innovation has to do with um 
uh, services and where companies have things like, um, uh, say, Google and its map API, and you could have Okta and its identity API, and you can start to put those together to create an integrated solution that might fulfill a customer need that you wouldn't have thought of before. I mean, one of the companies that we have in the book is domain.com.au, and they are actually a spinoff from an old media company. I remember you talking about Sears, is that um, Fairfax Media in Australia had a huge base of traditional media. They had uh, classified ads, and they knew that that was going to go away. They could just look at other markets. And so they cannibalized themselves, and they set up a skunk works, and they decided that uh, they might as well do it themselves. And they, uh, this new unit built a digital platform that re-envisioned what it meant to do property, you know, look for property. And you could dream on that. You could search on it for a property. You could bank, you could get a mortgage on it. You could settle on it. And then you could get services. And you couldn't do that if you didn't have digital enabling, you know, the the listings and the bankers and the lawyers and the realtors and the contractors all on one platform. And so those kind of integrated solutions, I think, are really interesting and something that digital allows that you couldn't do otherwise. In the book, you recommend companies pick a pathway for digitalization. You said there are four options. Um, and you started talking about this earlier in the interview. Please tell us what those options are and which one may be the most important. Like maybe you can't do all of them, but you can do one of them to start with. What, what, what are oh, they? Okay. So I'm going to tell you four pathways. And then um, the argument that I'm going to make is that within a business unit, you you should choose one pathway and, and really try to be as disciplined as you can and, and, and stick to it. So the four pathways, if you think about the two dimensions that I talked about, uh, operational efficiency and customer experience. The first pathway is through is by industrializing. It's it's really working on your backend systems, uh, figuring out the one best way to do something, uh, creating you know looking at uh, what your core competitive advantages are, and figuring out if you can API enable them so that you can make them into services. It's consolidating data. The issue with that pathway is that um, early on, it's a very difficult pathway. You're only looking internally. Often your business unit heads uh, are not, I mean, you're not doing anything for the customer. And so with that pathway, one thing that you may want to do is think about um, allocating a certain amount of your transformation budget to your business unit heads to do customer experience types of actions um, with the proviso that they are able to be integrated into your platform. Um, you do hit a point in that one, it's kind of like a hockey stick where you have a great back end and then you can um, really start to see synergies between operational efficiency and customer experience. The second pathway really focuses on customer experience um, first, and often what you'll see is a company, there are a couple of things that they could do to start. One is they could create a mobile type of um, 
a mobile type of uh, uh, platform that they can add. Another is they could put a wrapper around all of their um, silos and they could make it look like their experience is integrated. Um, this is an opportunity to test and learn, to find out what uh, your customers like. Uh, the real challenge on this one is you need a traffic cop, someone who is monitoring cost to serve. And you need someone to say, okay, we've done enough now to start, and now we need to replatform, we need to integrate in. This is the pathway that Semex took, and um, they started with a minimum viable product, they got a lot of traction, and then they integrated. The third pathway is around, is is it looks like stair steps, and it has to do with um, can you scope your project so that you have, say, six to eight nine-month projects around operational efficiency and customer experience, and can you um, alternate them so that you do a little bit of operational experience, and then you focus on your customer inner uh, experience, and then you focus again, you maybe integrate that into the platform and do some more on operational efficiency, and kind of go upwards uh, toward future ready. The issues with that pathway, it looks like it's a risk-free because you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, however, you are um, you need good governance. You need to have a great um, uh, roadmap so that your people know where you're going. And you need to figure out how to synchronize your learnings from, say, one operational efficiency step to the next operational efficiency step. And then the fourth pathway is... Um, you either have a great idea or you throw your hands up and you say, I cannot get there from here. And you start a new business unit that is future ready. You know how we talked about, you know, they don't have the legacy. They start in the cloud. They start with new ways of working, um, start with new technologies. And what you have to do there is figure out what are you going to do if you are successful? Uh, and what is your goal? Are you trying to build a new business unit? Are you trying to learn so that you can bring your other business, you know, the mothership, as we call it, up to the same level? Or are you going to spin it off um, because you don't have the capability to really run it? Um, and so those are the four pathways. Uh, you choose them based on the level of threat that you have, how engaged are your customers, what is your... Um, you know, what is your kind of cultural fit? Like a lot of manufacturing companies like a pathway one. It feels comfortable. They, kn they know about efficiency. They know about productivity. Um, a lot of retail under a fair amount of threat and they have to engage those customers. A pathway two fits very well for them. So you have to look at, at your own, um, at your own uh, uh, issues and opportunities. And you can have more than one pathway, but you must coordinate them. You want to figure out what's global and really make sure, ensure that you're getting those um, global efficiencies. I hate bots and many non-human <laughs> any many non-human interactions. Is this going to get better where we don't feel like uh, throwing the computer and cursing out the bot? Because I do that quite often. Cursing out the bot, not throwing the computer. I was going to say, you and I together. Um, I don't know. I keep waiting for it to be better. And maybe I hear that generative AI may help. Um, 
haven't seen it yet and i i don't know it should get better i mean right now it's pretty you know you have all of these um you have all of these these answers kind of programmed in and that's all that you get and it's very frustrating i think that this is what i worry that was one of my first worries when I heard about generative AI. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to have more bots. Yeah. You know, does the world need another one? Um, now, I'm probably being too harsh, but I'm hoping not. But or they need to be made very much better, uh, it, so that it's like you're talking to someone. I'm. I'm not sure. I fear I, I we're don't gonna think it's good them. customer service. I mean, I hate I, it. and I think it's just a cost savings for the company. I mean, even huge companies like Microsoft that have all the money in the world used to be able to actually talk to somebody. Now they want you to go and use these bots and you just become so frustrated that you actually go to an organization that has humans talking to you like GoDaddy. You can reach somebody 24-7 on them. And the minute they start using these bots, I'll, I'll leave them uh, because it's that frustrating. I know. I I don't know how to ask the questions to have right to have a good customer experience. It's quite frustrating. And I don't know if people it could be that they don't care that it's not worth their while. And I don't know how if it can be made better. Um, I obviously don't know how to ask the question correctly because I end up being frustrated and hitting operator, operator, operator. And um, I, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I do. And maybe it's an age thing. I don't know, but it, it drives me nuts. Uh, is digitalization different in usage depending on the industry, corporate culture and or country? Okay. Industry, I can certainly say. Um, so if you are going to look at who's further ahead, you're certainly not going to be surprised to see that, you know, information technology and technology companies are further along in there. Um, and you have companies within industries that are going to be far ahead, but certain industries are going to be less um, less transformed than others. Uh, I think there's a piece in the book that shows, uh, you know, heavy industry, less transformed than, than I think other industries in part because of what their product is, uh, and the lack of the, there's real no definition about who the end customer is. And so it's quite difficult to actually, have a real customer experience. They are very much more um, focused on operational efficiency. I mean, I think if you were to see a digital transformation of a heavy industry type of company, and it was like a stair step three, it would be really long, um, you know, treads of operational efficiency, little tiny risers of customer experience. So yes, there are um, differences. I have seen some research that suggests that some of Asia Pac is more advanced in the use of digital technologies, but in part that's because 
they don't have the companies with the legacy systems. Now that doesn't, so I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any success. You know, I haven't seen financial performance also being reflected. I've just seen the fact that some of the countries have higher levels of digitization because they started out with very low, you know, their technology, their companies are, there's just not as many old companies. And so they were able to start right away. I think age might be a better proxy than, I think industry and age is probably going to be better proxy than um, uh, um, country. Okay. Uh, what what are the hot job areas for the next five years that will guarantee good paying employment in the digital digital world? So my colleague Nick Vandermulen is in the process of doing. He's he's almost finished with his project this year on talent, and you can look at certainly. Um, I think the places that companies say that they are not very well. Um, that they don't have the skills, which would suggest that that might be a place uh, where you could get um, where there are going to be real opportunities. I think that those are around um, uh, artificial intelligence. So what your stats skills, your some programming and algorithms that you might need to know. Um I think short-term prompt engineering might be good. I, I'm not sure that that's going to be a long-term. Um, there are issues around strategy and business model. Um, so knowing what technology can do for your company that I think are going to be really important. Um, you know, Nick has got really interesting research showing that about um, companies are estimating that they need to really upskill at least 38% of their uh, employees because their skills are just not they're they're just not the right fit for uh what digital is requiring you know how companies are are transforming themselves and what is needed to have a successful company so i think the ones um i think that if you're looking at straightforward things that Generative AI might be able to do and augment those might be ones that uh, you would not spend as much time in, but some of the more creative ones, I think, uh, especially around programming data sciences um, and around strategies around how you use technology to make a company um, uh, operate differently. The chairman of Schneider Electric um, says every executive needs to take digital transformation personally. What type of technological knowledge, especially in the digital area, do future leaders, which you point out, uh, outperform less knowledgeable leaders by 48% on a revenue growth and valuation need to possess to run a business dominated and driven by technology? So... I don't think they need to know how to do it. So I, I don't think that we need to have your CEOs and your CMOs programming, but I think that they need to have an idea of what technology can do for the company and they need to know it at enterprise scale. So it's not just knowing, hey, I, I'm really good with my phone. 
that's not being digitally savvy. You really need to know what are the kinds of technologies that large com- that companies are going to need that's going to make a huge difference. And then the other thing that I need that they need to do is they need to know when to experiment, when to commit, and when to scale. So I think that there's this expertise and knowledge based on um, being part of innovation and large projects in the past. And then the other piece is around risk, and they need to be able to evaluate project risk versus business model risk. And a lot of times I think, uh, and this is probably what happened with Sears, is they looked at business model risk and saw that as so huge. So they, and the project risk for the small stuff was really small. Um, I think that leaders need to educate themselves, but I don't think they need to do it. So they probably need to make sure that they have, um, that they participate in some kind of activity, perhaps by talking to startups to see how startups are uh, doing their work. so, you know, operating in the startup networks or participating in in evaluating startups, I think that there are ways of using your own um, your own company knowledge to help you figure out, uh, you know, where you need to be savvy uh, case studies. Even so, you can bring in an external case study, or you can look at something. Maybe talk to your CIO and say. What did we do well? And bring that up as a uh, discussion. Um, uh, Digital tourism used to be big with COVID. That has actually kind of changed quite a bit. Um, And I uh, also think that you want to do some type of education to know what data and digital can do for your company. I know some board directors have, um, you know, taken an online course in data so that they know the terms, they know how people are thinking about it. Um, And so companies like DBS, because they were focused on live more, bank less, customer journeys became very important. And their CEO said that every executive had to participate in mapping a customer journey. So there are things that you can do to build up your digital savviness so that you are um, uh, taking it seriously. And I will say that, you know, Schneider Electric put digital into every executive's review. So that'll get you to start thinking about where it's important and how you use it. And, And buying your book. Yes, they could buy our book too. Yeah, for sure. Um, you write about leading with strong purpose, but I think every successful business people are motivated by purpose. So where does digital fit into the purpose behind just being a tool? And can you give examples? So when we were thinking about purpose, it was clear that every company felt that they had a purpose, but the most clear the ones that seemed most motivating were not just motivating to the executives themselves and to the people inside the company, but were also um, exciting for their customers. And so I think it, it makes you think about what it is that you're doing that also your customers can buy into. So, um, and I think that digital fits into the purpose because 
companies that are using digital well are expanding what they can do and they're interacting with their customers in different ways. And so the three purposes I think I've seen right away that we've seen customers also find really engaging are um, uh, Schneider Electric's purpose for providing energy efficiency uh, for um, all buildings. I mean, they call it life is on. Uh, DBS Bank, live more bank, you know, live more bank less. And then, you know, you could look at Cochlear, which builds, um, uh, they make um, hearing aids, you know, the, uh, and yeah. they yeah. have a purpose around getting the whole world to hear you. Well, you can't do all of that without digital. So I think, I I agree with you that strong purpose is necessary, but I think where it really makes a difference is that you've used digital to kind of hook in the customer too, and the customer believes your purpose also. In the book, you said that companies with clear multiple pathways have a 59% completion rate and that those don't have 30%. Why isn't the top number higher? And what are the companies that have such a low number doing wrong? Oh, the top number is not higher. Just, I, I mean, I think. Um, Why aren't they higher? I know. I um, One is that's an average. And so that's just a basis of stats. Um, the. What we're worried about right now is in the latest survey is that we've seen that it looks like transformations are stalling. Um, but still, companies with multiple transformations that are very coordinated are higher in their progress, but they're not as high as you would think that they would be. You would think that there might be some synergies, and there doesn't seem to be synergies. But I think part of that is um, it's just hard. And I think that what companies are facing now are the real difficult issues. They're going to have to reorganize. They're going to have to, um, you know, do the hard work of figuring out, you know, which are the product lines you keep, uh, you know, are you spending money on the right things? I'm not sure why they aren't higher, but, uh, uh, typically I look at the, I look at it from the opposite lens and say, if you are not coordinated and you're not disciplined, you are stalled. And they're still stalled in 2022. Please talk about how companies with a platform mindset use their platforms to take, as you write, their crown jewels and turn it into other digital services and products, which I guess is, is what Amazon has done. And can you give some examples? I will try. Let's see. So when I think about developing a platform mindset, it 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 in, involves several things. One is you really are focused on um, how do you integrate what needs to be integrated so that uh, you are able to reuse, say, processes or data or technology across the platform. So um, what happens when you are integrating is you've got things that are easily available and findable that you can reuse again and again and again. And that's very good for um, profitability. That's good for time to market. 
and it helps you free up money for innovation. The second thing that they do is they are um, uh, looking at the platform and figuring out, you know, what is, what's, what can we make into an API? What kind of um, product or service or component that we have? Say, for instance, onlining, onboarding a customer, and can we create a component out of that? make that service enable that with an API and then reuse that over and over again. So I think that developing the platform mindset is really this notion of of integrating um, your data, consolidating it so that you can actually use the data and leverage it. And then on top of that uh, uh, service enabling so that you can plug and play into not only your platform, but into other companies' platforms as well. And so when you start to think about it, I think Amazon is right. I think that any bank that has, um, like I said, onboarded a customer and has decided that they don't need 17 ways to do it is correct. Uh, I think that, um, um, you know, Okta creating an identity service, that's their crown jewel, gets used over and over and over again both internally and externally, you know, PayPal would be that kind of plug and play type of service. So those are the kinds of ways that we're seeing a platform mindset uh, really get leveraged. Stephanie, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. And I loved your book. And I, I think all boards and leaders of companies need to read this book so they can get up to speed so they don't become the next Sears. That's right. Thank you so much. I think that uh, that's what we're trying to do our research on. How do we help large companies succeed in the digital economy? Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.